the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, God reminds David who has prospered him and tells him he will bless David's house even more so. And David is overwhelmed. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 19. Once again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 19. If we look back to Psalm 42, which has an interesting title to it, it, it's a song for the sons of Korah, which means we don't know who wrote it. Someone wrote it, and then they gave it to the chief musician for this specific worship group to play. Whoever wrote this song said, Oh man, the, the singers or the guitar players, or whatever, man, they, they can nail this song. Let's give it to the sons of Korah. So we don't know who wrote it. We don't know, but I, I'm positive it's David. And what's interesting is it's a mashkel, which means a contemplation. It's something that's supposed to make you think. The psalm starts in Psalm 42, as the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. So here the writer, whoever it is, is saying, like a deer is looking for water, looking for some type of sustenance, some type of refreshment. That's how my soul longs after you. And then he talks about all this trouble he's in. Many people believe that David wrote this song, gave it to the sons of Korah, as he and that worship team were fleeing from Absalom when Absalom took over the kingdom. And that they were leaving behind the tabernacle, leaving behind the ark of God, leaving behind their lives, leaving behind their service, their worship, all that kind of stuff. When the question gets asked later on in the psalm, when shall I appear before God? When do I get to go back? I don't know. Whoever it is and whatever they're referring to, they're in a bad spot. God, I need you. I need sustenance. I need refreshment. I need you. I need you. And when we get down to verse 7, he says those words, deep calls unto deep. At the noise of your, King James says water spouts, it just means waterfalls. And then he says, all your waves and your billows are gone over me. And where it can get confusing is the old King James says, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And I would read that, and I think, okay, so deep unto deep is bad, yet God's loving kindness will come upon me in the daytime. Problem is, if you have an old King James Bible, you'll notice that the word yet is in italics. Fortunately, in my Bible, the italics don't really stick out, and so I always assumed it was there. There's no yet there. 
David says, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows are gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. If we go to verse one, we see whoever's writing this is saying, Lord, I, I need, I'm thirsty, I need. And then deep calls unto deep at the noise. I, I, I hear it, I hear the water. I hear the waterfalls. And then when I go, it's not just what I need, it's, it's more than I can handle. There are waves, they just come over me. I, your love is so big, it's so wide. And so he, he declares at the end, because God's love is so big, he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. The writer believes God will answer his cry, will slake the thirst of his panting soul. And so here's the question, how does God do that? How does God get that to him? Because deep is calling on deep. He says, I'm thirsty. And then something from the depths of God's heart calls out to David's heart. I want to read a quote to you from James Smith. He said this, the deep of man's need calls into the deep of God's fullness. That's what we saw in verse 1. As the deer pants through the water, so my soul longs after you. The deep of man's need calls into the deep of God's fullness. And the deep of God's fullness calls unto the deep of man's need. Between our emptiness and his all-sufficiency, there is a great gulf. All these verses between verse 1 and verse 7. And nothing can fully meet the depth of our need but the depth of his almighty fullness. When the writer is saying deep calls unto deep, he's talking about God's heart. The deepest love that's in God's heart, all the depths of God's love is just calling out to the writer. That's how I hear the noise of the waterfalls because God's calling out to him. And then when he comes, it's not just enough to slake his thirst, it's more than he can handle. God's love is more than he can handle. David, as he's here and seeing God's love in this great capacity, understanding God's goodness in this greater capacity, he's overwhelmed. His understanding of God's love is like waves that wash over him and even threaten to drown him. He can't take it all in. And so in verse 20, back in 2 Samuel 7, he says, and what, what can David say more unto you? Like, I mean, how does thank you suffice? Okay, I'll say it twice. Thank you, thank you. How does that suffice? He says, what more can I say unto you? And here's the key. For you, Lord God, you know your servant. You know everything I've thought, everything I've said, everything I've done, every sin, every failure. You know I don't deserve this, and yet you still do it? For your word's sake, and according to your own heart, have you done all these great things to make your servant know them? That verse is so important. It's not like the Lord said, David, you're a good guy. I'm going to do something good for you. No, this all originated from God's heart. It all originated from God's heart. He says, you're doing this because for your word's sake, you made a promise. You didn't do it because I deserved it. You're doing this according to your own heart. It originated from you, your love for me, not anything I did to win your favor. And when you're confronted with understanding a love 
that is so undeserved, so freely given, so unreal, and yet so very real, no words suffice. You either accept it, and you give all the glory to God, or you say things like our beloved brother Peter did in Luke 5.8. In Luke 5.8, Jesus, remember he told Peter, drop your nets over this side, and he's like, Lord, I've been fishing all night. I'm, I'm a fisherman, you're the prophet. I do my thing, you do yours. And of course, nevertheless, if you tell me to do it, I'll do it. So he lowers the net, catches a ton of fish, and the Bible says Peter falls before the Lord, and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. When you're confronted with that kind of love, that I mean, it's the only one or two ways to go. No, I don't deserve it. I can't have it. Then you reject it. Or, or like David, you go, I, I don't know what else to say. You're just good. You're just awesome. You give him all the glory and you accept it. I know there are probably some of you here, maybe even many of you who've done what Peter did. I've done it. You push God away. That love can't be for you, and you just can't bring yourself to accept it. You keep trying to earn God's favor, keep trying to earn his love, earn his blessing, and get on that treadmill again. Oh, no, no, I'll be a good, I'll be a good son, Lord. I'll be, I'll be a son you can be proud of. When the whole time, Lord's just saying, you're my son already. I just love you. Here's the good news. <laughs> David wasn't just a bad husband like we learned in chapter 6. He was a bad dad. He's a bad friend. He was a murderer, an adulterer, and many other wicked labels we could give him at points in his life. And so may I encourage you, instead of continuing Peter's tradition, <laughs> take a different approach. Accept God's love. Accept his grace by faith. And give all the glory to God like David did. David says in verse 22, wherefore, because this all originated from you, God, wherefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, neither is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. You are great. The word means exalted. You have the highest status. And then I love what David says. He goes, there is none like you, neither is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. In other words, David says, everything, everything you told us about yourself, it's all true. I've heard it my whole life. It's all true. From the youngest of ages, we tell our kids, we teach our kids, Jesus loves you, man. Jesus loves you. Well, there's, we all have to come to that place in our life, whether you learn it when you're two or you learn it when you're 42. You have to come to a place where you go, I believe it's true. I'm convinced it's true. And I think we go through moments in our lives where we understand it in a greater capacity. Paul the Apostle prayed, you know, for the Ephesian Christians, Ephesians 3, 16, his prayer is that, that, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by, the, by his spirit in the inner man and that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all saints. And so not just them, all believers, that we would all be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height 
and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm sure we can all think of moments in our lives where we understood God's love in a greater capacity and it just blew us away and we, we just said, okay, it's true. It's just more true than I ever thought it was. And when I examined David's life, in particular David's failures, and the horrible situations that David found himself in because of those failures, I find it hard to understand how he kept going. And so... I can only believe it's because of what he learned here. That no matter what he did, no matter what happened to him, David was, I believe, absolutely convinced that God loved him. I think he was absolutely convinced that there was always a path back to the Lord. That against all human logic, emotion, and experience, that God was exactly who he claimed to be. David declares that this isn't just true because of how God is towards him. David in verse 23 says this is true because it's how God is towards all his people. Verse 23, and what one nation in the earth is like your people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and awesome things for your land before your people, which you redeemed to you from Egypt and from the nations and their gods. He's talking about his people, Israel. David realizes in this confirmation of God's love for him that that God isn't just making this eternal commitment to him, his dynastic line, his descendants. He understands that God is affirming his eternal commitment to Israel, that despite all their sin and all their stubbornness, they were indeed his people and always will be. That's why Paul can say in Romans 11, 29, that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He can say that God isn't and never will be done with the nation of Israel. One of the biggest disservices I think Christians do when they say that the church is Israel is they do a great disservice to God's love and to God's grace. Because if he can cast them off, then why can't he just cast us off? I have major problems with that doctrine because of the ramifications if you hold that doctrine. Because then God, he isn't faithful to his promises. And there isn't a path back for everyone. And he isn't as gracious and as loving as he claims to be. Now, Having given God the glory that he deserves for such gracious love, David tells the Lord that he accepts his gift. Verse 24, he explains why he thinks this about Israel. For you have confirmed to yourself your people Israel to be a people unto you forever, and you, Lord, are become their God. So verse 25, now David tells the Lord that he accepts this this gracious gift. He says, and now, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, Lord, establish it forever. Set it up for eternity. I'm all in on this plan. And do as you have said. And let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. David is not all in on this plan just because it's good for his family. His desire is that God would work in his family in such a way, his descendants in such a way, that people would see God as greater. That's what magnified means. It means to be in a state of high status among others. 
He says, Lord, let your name be magnified forever. That people will say, when they see your hand upon my descendants, upon the the nation of Israel and the kingdom that you've built, let them say, the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is a fascinating phrase. It's Jehovah of Sabaoth. Not Sabbath, but Sabaoth. It's a phrase that means the becoming one, the almighty one who rules everything. Lord, do what you say you're going to do so people look at you and they, they hold you in high esteem. And they, they look at what you've done for your people and they say, man, the best person in the universe is their God. <laughs> the biggest person in the universe is their God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, you have revealed to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore has your servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto you. And I love verse 28 and 29. He says, Lord, I accept this gracious gift. And and then he he declares, you know, this is going to sound crazy, you know. I mean, that's not something you probably walk in and say, hey, you know, how was your day? Well, it was great. I spent some time with the Lord. He told me that, you know, one of my descendants is going to be the Messiah. Good news, honey, right? I mean, sounds crazy. But David, in these last two verses, he, he confesses his trust that God's able to do what he promises. He says, and now, O Lord God, you are that God, that the, the Lord of Sabaoth, the one who rules heaven and, and, and earth, and therefore you can accomplish what you, what you promise to do. You, Lord God, you are that God, and your words be true, reliable, trustworthy, faithful. And you have promised this goodness unto your servant. Therefore now, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken it. Has any dynastic line in history lasted forever? Nope. But David's will when Jesus reigns. Because God is capable and God is faithful. God is the perfect promise keeper because he never lies and he's always able to do what he promises he'll do. I had a great uncle who was an alcoholic. He's home with the Lord now. But before he got right with the Lord, he lived with my family for a period of time. And and we were kids, you know, hey, your great uncle's there. I mean, everybody loves their great uncle, right? You know? And he would always promise things, always promise things. Hey, I'm going to get you that game you're always talking about when you see the commercial on the TV, you know? He would do this all the time. And, and of course, you know, mom and dad's heart would break because he would never fulfill any of those promises. God's not like that. He is the perfect promise keeper because he's good and he's powerful. You know, he can do what he says he'll do. And because he's faithful, he will do it. So David closes his prayer with saying, and with your blessing... <laughs> Let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Lord, I want your blessing. That's the blessing that we want most of all. Amen? Amen. So, where does this leave us? I have learned in my life that very often I'll hear truths from from the Lord, from, from God's word, and I don't always mix them with faith. 
So I'll hear something and I'll see how God is this way towards someone in the scripture, but there are times that I think, yeah, but that's not for me. You know, it's not for me because well, I failed here or, or you know, I, I, God could, you know, I, I could never, I, I just can't happen, you know. And that always keeps us from blessing when we do that. It always keeps us walking in circles in a desert, right? <laughs> Lord, go up and take the land. No, there's giants and walled cities and the people outnumber us. Yeah, but I, I, I gave it to you. Go do it. I'm God. Ah, I think we're not going to do it. circles. You know, I love after Peter tried to push Jesus away, the Lord didn't go away. The Lord just kept telling him how much he loved him. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what? Don't be afraid that this isn't for you. You just saw me do something awesome for you, Peter. You've been fishing all night and got nothing. And now you got... Your boats can't even handle all the, all the provision I just gave you. Don't be afraid. I want to bless you. And I'm going to do far more than you th- think I, I'm even capable of. So don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter, I've got way more in store for you than filling a boat with fish. I'm more good than you'll ever imagine me to be. I love you way more than you ever think I do. The Lord isn't scared off by our struggles. He tells us to not be afraid. And he says he has even more good things in store for us. The only thing, he says, Lord, the writer, whoever wrote Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. The only thing that can meet the deepest need I have is a painful but glorious truth. I will never deserve God's love. Never. Confronting that deep emptiness in our heart can be so painful because our pride says, no, I can do better. I can be worth it. But when we confront that emptiness, a hole so deep that we can never fill, we ask God in his grace to pour into it from the depth of his unending heart, his unending love. That's when we begin to experience those waves too much. Too much. You know, David, at another point, he said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, he said, Lord, who am I that you would think on me? That's where he came to that place. That's when we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good and that he is better than anything else I can do to try to earn his love. And when you can be in that place, no matter how thirsty you are, no matter how rough things are, his love can sustain you and you can push through. I was at Bible college one year and uh, we had a huge, huge snow. Digging the car out. and I don't deal well, dealt very much less well back then with stressful situations. And me and Beverly were engaged at the time and I was just a complete jerk. I remember finally getting into the car and turning the car on. And and, she came out and 
She's like, hey, you all right? And I was like, no. I said, I can't believe I'm capable of acting like that toward you. How could God ever use me? And I remember she just ministered God's love to me, spoke the truth to me, and she left. And I remember sitting in that car thinking, I've only got two ways to go now. Either I'm going to believe what she said, I'm going to get back out and we're going to go back to school, or I'm going to, I'm going to get a plane and go home, and I'm done. Don't get on a plane. He loves you so much. Nothing you can do ever change that. So Lord, thanks so much for giving us this inside look into David's personal experience with you where he, he just got it in a way he never had before. So Lord, that we can see what you're like and what you want to do for us. Lord, it it does seem at times too good to be true that we have a home in heaven, that we're joint heirs with Christ, that you love us and you want to bless our lives. Lord, in faith, we say, Lord, we believe you are everything you have told us about yourself. We believe it's true. And we don't want to push you away. We receive that love, that grace. And we just want to tell you how great you are. Lord, for everyone who may be struggling with your love, I pray that you would bless them, Lord. Draw them close, speak to them, just like you did to Peter. Say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I got even better things for you. Trust me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.